Hello everyone, I'm Heather Ward, Senior Manager of Content Strategy at SCA, and you're listening to the SCA Podcast. Today's episode is part of our SCA Lecture Series, dedicated to showcasing a curated selection of the extensive live lectures offered at SCA's Specialty Coffee Expo and World Coffee Events. Check out the show notes for relevant links and a full transcript of today's lecture. This episode was recorded live at the 2018 Specialty Coffee Expo in Seattle. Visit coffeeexpo.org to learn more about this year's schedule of lectures and get your tickets. As a barista or production roaster, it's hard to make a living in the specialty coffee industry. Some of our industry's brightest, most passionate, and creative individuals ultimately leave coffee for higher paying industries even though their true passion lies in coffee. This is unfortunate because they are the representatives of our industry. They are the direct connection to the consumer and the keeper of quality standards. In order to progress our industry and grow a truly sustainable specialty coffee presence, people need to be provided for, given a career path, and paid in a manner that is competitive with other professional industries. The key to being able to provide these opportunities lies with the company owners. The age-old question Charles Jack asks in today's episode is this. Can you run a profitable business and still have enough money in the tank to provide a living wage for your employees? Charles Jack is the co-owner of Cat and Cloud Coffee in Santa Cruz, California. Prior to starting Cat and Cloud Coffee, Charles spent three years in a deputy CFO role, running business operations for Verve Coffee Roasters. Charles holds a degree in finance from Tulane University and spent six years as a Wall Street investment analyst for multiple private financial companies. After leaving Wall Street, Charles discovered coffee while spending a year working in Ethiopia, Kenya, and South Sudan as part of TechnoServe's East Africa Coffee Program, a program that championed smallholder coffee quality and access to markets for more than 100,000 farmers in East Africa. Okay, Charles, let's get started. So good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for taking the time to be here. My name is Chris. I'm a co-owner of Cat and Cloud in Santa Cruz, California, with Jared over there and Charles, who you'll be hearing from today. And when we set out to build Cat and Cloud, we really wanted to build a company that put its people first, that fostered real growth, real development, opportunity for people to creatively express themselves and come away from their work experience at Cat and Cloud learning so much more than how to just make and serve a great cup of coffee. And as it turns out, to be able to do all those things, you first need to run a really sustainable and a really efficient business to have some gas in the tank to get where you're going. And that's where Charles really shines, has been like an awesome member of the team. And Chuck is like, he's always wanted to downplay his accomplishments and he's like really humble dude. So we have to toot his horn for him. So a little bit about Chuck. Um, Chuck has a background. He worked on Wall Street for years, analyzing investment options for VC funds, managing the portfolio of over a hundred million dollars. He's worked in the green coffee sector for NGOs in Ethiopia and South Sudan, doing financials for them. And he's crunched some numbers for some really big names in specialty coffee. But aside from all that big kid stuff, he's just a really nice guy. And he always finds time to do the little human things. So every time we have a new hire on staff, Chuck takes him out to lunch for a one-on-one. 
just to kind of learn about them and see what makes them tick. So Chuck has been just amazing, and it's like an understatement to say that without Charles, Cat and Cloud really doesn't exist, and the things that we do just wouldn't be possible. So if you're here, that's step one, and if you believe the same things that we believe, or if you just want to run a really awesome, sustainable business, we think you should listen to what he has to say, because he's got some good stuff, and uh, he's got game. <laughs> Chuck Jack. <laughs> Dude, thanks, Baca. Should have you create all my slides for this uh, presentation. All right, let's get started. Yeah, dude, thank you, everybody, for coming. It's really awesome to see you guys all here. And um, yeah, dude, I'm excited to get started. I got game. All right, the title of this lecture is Creating Sustainable Careers in Coffee. Um, any questions? No. If you guys, I'm going to go through a lot of information today, and if you guys have any questions of things that I don't touch on or you want me to touch on deeper or other questions related to what I'm talking about, just email us at podcasting cat and cloud. These guys are always trying to get me on the podcast more, so if you guys have questions and things like that that go deeper than what we talk about now, um, feel free to uh, email us there. All right, so let's talk what we're going to talk about today. What is a sustainable career in coffee? Um, why is it so difficult to create a sustainable career in coffee? Um, the three things that really as business owners that we need to do to put everybody in a position to succeed. Really, the heart of this talk is that employee ownership is the way. And that's really a key piece of what we believe in and what I'm going to talk about today is that really being able to create a sustainable career in this industry, which is so hard, that really employee ownership has to be a part of it. Uh, we're going to wrap up after that, and then we're going to do uh, Q&A. Hopefully we'll have some good time for that. All right, so who is this talk for? It's mainly when I, when I put this presentation together, it's for two groups of people. One is, the, like Kristen, she's our Portola Cafe team lead. Um, it's for the coffee professional. Um, and for everything that I talk about today, I want you to view it through the lens of, you know, is your company providing this for you? Um, is your company helping you progress in the way that you want to progress? And do you see the opportunities uh, you know, that I'm going to talk about today. And just for a show of hands, like, how many of you guys are non-business-owning coffee professionals? Awesome. And then, so the other, other group is, like, uh, my boy Jer Bear right there. Our um, business, o business owners, like all of us. And, um, yeah, just, again, for you as business owners to view what I'm talking about as you know, can we implement some of these things to, to really think more about the employees who are moving our business forwards and to view kind of everything I'm talking about through the lens, um, kind of through that lens. But why is a career in coffee so hard to achieve? I mean, we, you know, and just on this slide, as we begin to pose this, you know, kind of pose this question, like, Coffee's, you know, some people say coffee is the second most traded commodity in the world after oil, and there's so much money that flows through our industry. 
maybe most of it goes to Starbucks, but we're like the independent sector is really growing and we have an opportunity you know, with all this entrepreneurial spirit and with all the, these businesses to kind of change the way that coffee's been perceived in the past as really like a low-income, non-sustainable career situation. Um, Yeah, so why is this so difficult? I'm going to talk about four things. The first one, yeah, is there's a productivity issue um, surrounding how kind of different businesses and different industries operate. Um, Owning a cafe versus, you know, a technology company to go to extremes. You know, in the metric I talk about this, I talked about it on a podcast about a month ago, is I like to look at the metric that's gross margin or gross profit per labor dollar. And it's like a really technical metric, but essentially it's saying for every dollar of labor that you have in the cafe, how much gross profit are you producing? And, you know, for us at Cat and Cloud, it's around two. I mean, for Google, it's like 10,000 or something. But, you know, there's there's issues around like how much labor it takes us to produce the, the revenue and income and contribution that we receive in the cafe. Um... So yeah, well, so you know, and again, even within coffee, our cafe runs at about a two. Our uh, wholesale roastery business is about a three and a half. You get a little bit more income contribution for the labor that's required in the roastery, and then our web business is like a five. So you can kind of see how at the cafe level, that is really kind of the most labor-intensive part of your business, which we all know. Um, the second thing is just operational issues. I really believe that we can be better at running our businesses and that this money really, I mean, with our desire, it's like this money can go to, to help employees and provide more for employees. We'll talk a little bit about benefits later. You know, different and structural issues, like different businesses. I think one of the really awesome things about our industry is how entrepreneurial it is. And you'll often see successful baristas, successful roasters starting companies. But they may not be starting the companies with maybe like a financial mentor in mind and, and, have, and kind of getting up that financial learning curve very steeply. So there's some structural issues in how you set up your business that would, you know, in my mind, you know, address like the flex, how flexible your business will be if you want to give employees ownership in the future. And finally, growth. I mean, I think in some parts of our industry, growth is like a four-letter word. But we think about it in, at Cat and Cloud is, you know, how do we need to grow? Um, you know, how much do we need to grow to be able to create the income and the profit to provide for, the, for our employees the way we want to? So everybody's going to have kind of different ideas on growth, but... Um, you know, if any of you have ever worked for like a coffee business that has one cafe, I would never go to work for that business because that is not, there's, is be very difficult for that business to provide you a sustainable income. If they're just going to have one cafe, they're never going to grow. I'm not going to go work there. So what is a sustainable career? Um, and I'm going to argue it's four things with the main thing being that it provides you the ability to buy, like an income that provides you the ability to buy a house. So not necessarily this house. This is a Jack O'Neill's house in Santa Cruz. He invented the wetsuit and the O'Neill surf fame. It's the only house in Santa Cruz that's allowed to be on the cliff. Um, but a house, 
really, for the majority of Americans in any business or any industry, your house is the largest asset you'll ever own. It's a big part of your retirement. And really, anything that's going to be able to provide a sustainable career, in my mind, has to include and help you buy your own house. I mean, how many coffee professionals, non-business owners, own their own house? Exactly. I mean, I would say, like, how many business owners own their own house? It's better. We're, we're not there yet, but getting there. <laughs> yeah, but it is. It's a real thing, and that's kind of how we think about it is, like, dude, how can we get our employees to a place where they're with us 5, 10, 20 years, and that's, we need to get them into a house. So, right, along with that, the other thing is uh, an income that allows you to be in a position to buy a house. And third, I'd argue that really a sustainable career is one that provides challenge and growth opportunities uh, throughout your time with the company. Um, One of the things that really pisses me off is working for a company where they hire in above you. That sucks. And at Cat and Cloud, we hire everybody from within. So everyone who moves up within our company, starts either in a cafe or the roastery. And yeah, I mean, I understand there's an idea at some level of hiring people in with a skill set, but honestly, we believe, just from a company point of view, that we're going to take the extra time and effort and train people, right? We, for HR, you know, we're going to be hiring kind of like our first HR professional soon, and we're going to send them to a, like a program. It's like a certificate program. It's five five seven thousand dollars for them to do but it's like that's really building people up from the inside versus going out and hiring people in from above and that it just demoralizes people and that's that's not building a sustainable culture or career and that really pisses me off um yeah you can tell um so for us at cat and cloud we're you know finally kind of like the fourth thing and i'm gonna kind of harp on this throughout and talk about it more in the final section here is a sustainable career involves employee ownership in the business. And I'm going to talk about different ways that this is possible, but it's something that I think is really crucial, um, you know, just due to the economics of coffee and cafes and things like that. It's, you know, and again, in an industry where we all, where it's so many entrepreneurial, I talked about roasters, baristas, starting companies, we've all been like been there making $10 an hour. So I, it should be an industry where we're looking out for those younger people within our companies and wanting to bring them up and help them build those, that type of career. All right. <laughs> so what is a sustainable income? I'm going to argue it's not cash floating from the ceiling while you sit on your espresso machines. But, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Uh, so the majority of people that work in coffee live in probably like the twenty to forty thousand dollar income range annually. You know, it's ten to twenty dollars an hour, and it's not sustainable. That I mean, I mean, where are the minimum wages going in California? Going to fifteen dollars an hour um, plus tips is kind of take home around forty thousand dollars. You're like getting there closer, but I mean, twenty dollars to $40,000 a year is not a sustainable income. So I kind of looked, there's a few studies, Pew Research, uh, U.S. Census Bureau kind of defined middle class in the U.S. as fifty five dollars to $65,000. So I'm going to kind of throw out $60,000, and 
as a place where you're trying to get people in a position, especially if they have a partner or something like that, to be in a position you can buy a home, have some money where you're not living paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, and again, equity is going to be a part of that. Um, yeah, just some other, like, $60,000 jobs, right? It's corporate recruiters, entry-level software engineers, corporate accounting, marketing, sales, registered nurses. Like, I want to see different, I want to see more coffee professional jobs in that list. All right, so how do you get there? And I'm going to argue at this point that the owners are the problem and part of the solution. Um, and really the three things that you have to get right as the owner is the structure and funding of your company, the operations of your company, and the growth of your company. And that success in these three areas is going to give you the flexibility to have the money to, and structure to take care of your employees in a better way. And again, so as a coffee professional, you know, view this as, is the company that I'm working for, do I know what the growth plan is? Uh, are people being transparent with me? What does the structure look like? Yeah, just, um, yeah, just view it kind of through that lens as well. All right, and this is kind of my mantra. These guys hear me say it all the time. If you don't structure and run a good business, there won't be money to take care of people. This is like my mantra throughout the whole thing. So let's transition and talk about running kind of like a best-in-class business and a kind of business that will provide careers for our employees. Um, yeah, and again, if you're, not, if you're a professional and you're not noticing these things happening, it may be an issue long-term, and you know, you'll be there for a few years before you find out that there isn't the money to take care of you in the way you thought. All right, so I'm going to kind of segue into this with the idea, and for the people who do run businesses out there, that running a business is hard. It's really hard. Um, you know, I could, you know, <laughs> there's like an exercise when I went to college where they're like, look to your left, look to your right. One of those people won't be there next year when I was a freshman. <laughs> so, so it's kind of similar. So it's like if you look at like yourself and four people next to you, um, one out of every five businesses fails within its first year. So you and the four people next to you one of you won't be there next year <laughs> if, if you all started your business at the same time. Not. Um, the SBA also says 40% of businesses fail within the first three years. So Cat and Cloud, we're like a year and a half. We're halfway there, still going. And finally, only 4% of all small businesses reach a million dollars in sales. So running a business is hard. I mean, I'll kind of point to Starbucks a few times throughout this. They closed 600 stores in 2009. Obviously, the economy wasn't doing well. But the main reason they cited for those stores was location and not getting the traffic that they needed. 600 businesses with employees that closed down. And so this slide I put in here in particular, this is Jack Harris from Blue Lagoon Coffee in San Diego. And he's a wholesale partner of ours. One of our goals in our wholesale program is to help the people we work with run better businesses. Like, if we can make them better, that's going to help us as well. And so we do an annual wholesale business forum where we get uh, a bunch of our wholesale accounts together and kind of talk through the challenges of owning a business, running a business, share information, how can we all succeed together. And it was a really powerful event that we did, and... And I think it's just really important in that way that we kind of all support each other uh, and be resources for each other because it's hard. All right. 
So the first, kind of the first part I'm going to talk about, I'm kind of cruise through this because I always take too long in this section. I'm going to preface this by saying that, like, so company structure, it's important. Throughout my career, I've, just as an investment analyst and with different coffee companies that I've worked with or consulted with, I've kind of been in a position to have access to how companies were funded and structured. Um, you know, a, a good company structure, at best, it'll help you, give you kind of the flexibility to, you know, to be able to take care of employees, and a bad one will kind of limit it. Um, so we believe in transparency at Cat and Cloud. So we have showed all of our employees what our company structure and ownership looks like. So how many people out there work for a company where the owners have showed you what the structure and funding and ownership of the company look like? All right, a few. Yeah, I, I would like that to be everybody. I think transparency goes a long way in connecting the owner's vision with what people on the front lines are doing day to day. Um, you know, it's transparency, it's alignment, uh, it's getting the right people on the bus and them understanding what your vision is. Uh, things kind of I recommend to retain as an owner, retain as much control as you can. Um, start slow, prove your concept, go to the bank. The bank is a scary place, but it'll be your best friend when you show them that you're running a profitable business. Um, the three of us, you know, we equal partners, we each own a third, and the bank has funded, you know, we've got our two stores, we've got two more that we're going to open by the end of the year. The bank has funded all of our stores, and that's because they believe in the business that we're running. So start that relationship early with the bank, um, because partnering with the bank instead of giving up equity, right? We want to preserve equity, carve it out for employees. And you can't do that if every time you open a new cafe, it's a different entity, and there's giving up 50% of ownership, or, 70, or 75, 25. There's different structures that you can use to open up different cafes. But I prefer just like a simple, single entity company structure. And it doesn't have to be an LLC, blah, blah, blah. But this is kind of what, what ours looks like. Um, it's simple, simple for taxes, simple legally, um, and it allows you then to carve out, this is kind of important, it allows you to carve out for employees ownership at, of one entity. You know, if you have a business where every cafe you open is a different entity, um, you know, it becomes hard beyond just like aggregating all the data and information from all those cafes, cafes together. It becomes hard to really carve out for your employees' ownership from one entity. So, yeah, I just like to throw this in throughout. Structure and run a good business. There will be money to take care of people. All right, so this is kind of piece number two. Um, I'm going to kind of talk about kind of best-in-class operations. And so what I'm going to talk about is a specific business model it's not a restaurant. It's a cafe, coffee shop. We're going to look at some numbers. And it works. It's the way we run our business. I've been involved with a number of other businesses that are successful who run their cafes this way. And yeah, it's, it, it works. If you're running a restaurant, it's not this business model. This is like more of a cafe, coffee shop business model. And it's kind of helped us methodically move from one cafe to two cafes to three, four all right, so there's a few assumptions in this business model. One is that your cafe is paying full wholesale price for the coffee 
and the pastries if you make them. If you're a roaster retailer, that you've set your company up where your roastery is its own department. And basically, like, our cafes order through our online ordering site the same way that our wholesale customers do, and they're charged the same way um, that our wholesale customers are. So you're really... You, that way, you're really being able to see what the true economics of your roastery and your cafe are. You're not subsidizing your cafes and be like, oh, I'm making like a 40% profit at my cafes. Like, they're awesome. No, you're, you're not because you're, you're not comparable to other cafes. Um, yeah, and when you look at banks or investors, you're going to have to explain kind of this whole thing of, well, I'm subsidizing my cafes with my roastery. No, they should be separate departments. Um, and if you have a bakery, the same thing. It should be separate departments where the bakery is selling baked goods to your cafes. Right, and it's, it's kind of like, it cancels out, right? It's a sale for the roastery. It's your cost of goods for the cafes. They cancel each other out. It's just a transfer, but you're looking at the roastery as its own business and the cafes as their own business. All right, so the first metric. All right, if your cafe does not make $2,000 a day, I do not want to go to work for you. It just creates a really high hurdle to success and to scale. Um, you know, if you are trying to build a company that will be able to take care of employees, if, you're, if all your cafes are making $1,500 a day, there's not going to be the money to be able to, your company is not really going to be worth much, and there's not going to be that income to kind of supplement whatever salary you're paying them through kind of ownership. Like the ownership isn't really going to be worth anything. So, yeah, we kind of look at this with every store that we open, and our average ticket is between $7 and $8. Um, just, and so it's like if we can't get 300 people, if we're not pretty much 100% sure that we can get 300 people through the door every day, we're going to pass on that opportunity. Um, and it's just part of scale and how our cafes run and what our vision is for what our company is going to be. And again, on the flip side, if you're a coffee professional and you're working for a cafe that does like twelve, fifteen hundred dollars a day, I'm going to argue it's going to be really difficult for them to provide you a career longer term doing that. All right. So after the your daily average, all right, we're getting kind of technical here with the gross margin, right? Your gross margin is essentially your sales minus your cost of goods, right? Your sales minus the cost of the things you sell. Gives you your gross margin, gross profit. So this sales mix and these margins, they work, right? It's part of this business model that works. You sell 60% coffee, 20% food, whole bean, tea, merch. And these are the margins you need to make on those products. Right? And this is, this is with us charging our cafe's full wholesale price. You should still be making a 60% margin on your coffee drinks. And this margin includes coffee, Milk and cafe supplies. That's what's involved in the cost of goods for the coffee line item. Food. If you're selling food and you're getting like a 30% margin, no. You got to find a new, a new provider because you need this as a cushion to set up kind of the, the rest of the P&L for success. And it doesn't have to be exactly this. It's not going to be this exactly every month, but on average, um, you should be in this area. And sorry, so I've got a question on this one too. So why might a restaurant have a lower gross margin than a coffee shop? It's like your food percentage is higher and it's at a lower margin. 
So it's bringing your overall gross margin down. And that's why restaurants, most restaurants operate in kind of like a 5 to 10% income, net income. They're just riskier, right? I mean, you all hear about restaurants that come and go and fail. It's a riskier business than a coffee shop. And we want to kind of give as much cushion as we can for the expenses that, that have to flow through the business. All right. Everyone's busy, biggest expense, labor. So what kind of labor percentages should we be shooting for? Uh, 25 to 30% is a pretty standard rule. Anything under 25% and you're probably not paying your employees very well, burning them out, you don't have enough staff, you're not providing the best service that you can. Anything above 30% and you're probably not being as efficient as you can and it's probably going to be detrimental and have... Uh, probably like a negative impact on the business. So we're, at Cat and Cloud, we're closer to the 30 just because of the benefits and things that we offer. But we're really hyper-focused on making sure that we're within this range. And when you look at this number, it's inclusive of health in- any insurance, health insurance, PTO, payroll taxes. It's an all-in number for your payroll. All right. Looking at this picture, what is your most important fixed expense in your business? Rent. Yes, I heard somebody say it. So the real title of this slide would be like, bad leases will kill you. (laughs) Your rent structure is super important. Um, Man, we were, we were, yeah, we were lucky with this spot. I mean, not lucky, we've. I mean, it's Chris and Jared building a community in this neighborhood over 10 years allowed us the opportunity to get a lease where we are here. And our, our rent here in last year was 3% of sales. Um, 5 to 7% is not bad. I've seen 10%. That's not good. I've seen 15%. That's even, wor- even worse. Like, your whole, the whole kind of expense section of your P&L should be 10 to 15%. So if you're paying 10 to 15% in rent, it's going to be really hard to maximize kind of like the operations and the financials of that cafe. And it, it's the biggest thing that I've seen slow down or really hurt businesses are companies that sign, they feel like they have to sign a lease and they sign a bad lease and equally as bad is like to get in bed with a bad landlord. Like they will kind of hinder what you're trying to do at best, and like at worst, they'll like cripple what you're doing. Um, a story from a friend of mine is they lease, getting a loan from the bank, they're moving along. But when you get an SBA loan, your landlord has to sign something that says that they're willing to give up the title to a lot of the like equipment and stuff in your cafe. And their landlord didn't want to do it. So they're like six months into their build out. They've put all this money into it. And it, I mean, it literally almost cost them their business. Um, They were able to finally mediate their way through it. But understand these things and understand who your landlord is and really get to know what kind of person they are because that could suck a lot. So really, from this, rent is the ultimate. Yeah, rent is the ultimate fixed cost, including triple nets. 
Yeah. All right. Net income, the bottom of the P&L, 15%. 15% is great. 15% best in class. Like you're maximizing the financial abilities of a cafe or a coffee shop while still what I believe providing the service that's going to help you grow the business and bring people back. Um, you, can, you know, we kind of talk through the numbers, right? At 60% gross margin, 30%, right? If you start with 60% gross profit, minus your 30% for labor, you're at 30%, minus your 15% for expenses, you're at a 15% net income. And this is a number that banks, investors, people like this number. Um, Starbucks, from, I've had conversations with people that work there. They target a $400,000 build-out in their normal cafes and a 35% return on investment. That's essentially, um, you know, we'll kind of look at it in a minute, but that's essentially kind of what this number gets you to, though their cafes run at a little bit higher net income just because they're Starbucks. But, I mean, really, this is where you want to get to. And if you can do this, it's really going to help you in everything else you want to do. So this is our goal. And at Cat and Cloud in our first year, we're between 10 and 15%. Um, but this is our goal, and this is where we want to get to. If our store managers hit 15% for a year, they get a $10,000 bonus. Because this is where we want to get to. All right, dude, so let's go real life. This is a Cat and Cloud p from December 2017. Um, and let's roll through it. So from right to left, you know, it would all be up and down, but it's cut up from right to left. So first, daily average. We did about $2,700 a day. Moving down, cost of goods, margins, coffee, good, food, good, whole bean, merch, tea, and RTD stuff, good. 60%, ah, 59.6, we were close. Actually, and it's interesting because for us in December, right, um, our, okay, actually first, so let's hop back up and look at the mix, right? Lower coffee, right, as I was saying, kind of 60% coffee. Um, and this is kind of like a seasonal thing. In December, we get a lot of people buying more food, buying more merch, buying more coffee as gifts and things like that. So for December, our numbers kind of tweak a little bit, but for most of them, we're closer to what I showed you before. But even with this kind of tweak and even with a little bit more food than I talked about, if you're getting that margin right, it's still, you're still going to hit the right number and the gross profit and the gross margin. Um, so on the right side, then, kind of looking down, rent or payroll, right? We're around 30%. Rent, 3%. And you know, I'll point out your attention to kind of we talked about gross profit per labor dollar. Right, our gross profit was forty-eight thousand. Our payroll was twenty-four. It's around two to one, and I think most cafes, you know, a lot of cafes are kind of in that range. And then all that kind of leads down. Right, we talked about sixty percent, thirty percent labor, fifteen percent other expenses. Right, bank fees, depreciation, insurance, interest on our loan, uh, rent. We must have got a credit in that repairs and maintenance slide, so, yeah. But, um, and then, like, selling marketing, our, we put, uh, like, discounts and things like that in that line item, and then utilities. So, right, so they're about 14.4 all in, 15% bottom line. Um, yeah, and so this is, like, what we're shooting for every month, and we think this is possible 
for everybody. This is kind of what you want it to look like. And as well, right, we talk about a lot of people starting businesses, um, you know, as successful baristas, roasters, other types of coffee professionals. Even, you know, you probably have like an outside bookkeeper. Your bookkeeper should be giving you this by the 15th day of the following month, every month. It's so important that you have good numbers to look at so you can see the trends that are happening and you can make adjustments. Um, yeah, even, you know, example from us when we first opened is we kind of understood the seasonality because I was at Verve before. And, um, but really in Santa Cruz, July is our busiest month, all the tourism that comes in. And then August, all those people go back to school. There's like smaller groups. So we, we didn't adjust our labor fast enough. And like when we saw what our, we saw July, July was awesome. But August, our labor was way too high. And we just hadn't made the switch, um, kind of knowing that our seasonality was slowing down and our daily average was, you know, was 10 or 15% lower. Um, just understanding your seasonality as well is super important and adjusting your labor. And you can't do that if you're not getting current financials. If your bookkeeper can't give you this, you know, for March by April 15th, find a bookkeeper that can because it's standard practice. All right. <laughs> Dude, Jen Swin. Nice. All right. The third topic in this section. So growth. Again, I'm going to harp on if you own one store and you never want to grow, I don't want to go work for you. There's, I don't think there's a career there. So, and I don't mean, right, the other extreme is we're not going to open 50 to 100 stores and, like, sell our company for a billion dollars to Nestle. Like, that's not, that's not what we're trying to do. But I'm talking about understanding... Just throwing shade, sorry. But I'm talking about understanding what it's going to take to provide for your employees, what you want to provide for employees, and what it's going to take financially to get there, and then to build, to plan and build out your growth plan accordingly. So for us, we kind of think, you know, we're gonna, we've got two stores going, that'll be four, we're going to chill out in 2019, but over the next five to ten years, maybe it's getting us to ten stores, where... We really kind of have, right, the income and the profit and things like that to be able to get the ownership that we give out to people to be worth something. So it's just growth in terms of thinking almost like backward engineering your growth is like, if we're going to take care of our people and we need this much money to do it, how much growth do we need to get there? And, you know, again, involve your employees in this. Um, it's not just me, Chris, and Jared that are deciding this. We have a leadership team, including us, of 10. So it's the three of us. It's our four cafe managers, our wholesale team lead, our education team lead, our roastery team lead. Um, four, yep, seven. Cool. Yeah, so, right, it's those seven employees who are our leadership team that we've trained and brought up, and us, and we get together... Every quarter, we do a quarterly offsite. Like, I can't say enough about planning and making the time to get together to work on, you know, it's like I'll 
work on the business instead of in the business, right? You hear that stupid thing all the time, but, but like take time to plan and it's hard to find that time. But we, every quarter, the 10 of us get together and talk through these big things like how do we want to grow? What do we want to do for employees? Um, I think it's super important that there's that kind of um, communication and buy-in and, and just teamwork, really, from like the owners and, uh, and the people that are working with you. Um, yeah, so that's super important. I mean, the, the bottom line is our idea of growth is growing at a pace that provides increased opportunities while maintaining our mission, vision, and values, and those are all developed kind of with that leadership team. All right. Yeah, so this is really what I believe the path to sustainable careers is. It's employee ownership. If any of you guys were here at Expo last year, um, we bring different people. We actually like pull names out of a hat for people that come with us. But um, Grace and Alex were here. Grace is our roastery manager, team lead. Um, and Alex is our wholesale manager. Um, and we're kind of going to transition, yeah, in the next section where we talk about kind of like what we can do for employees in the business cycle from... Right, we're all at one store at some point to, you know, for us, 10 stores or whatever your growth plan might be. So benefits are the first step. And I think at Cat and Cloud, we've put together kind of like an industry-leading benefits package. We do 10% retail profit sharing. So 10% of the profits of our cafes go into a pool that are divided up to all employees, full-time and part-time, pro rata based on hours worked. Um, we have four weeks of, of paid time off for full-time employees, um, two weeks for part-time employees. And this is something we're really passionate about. I've, I mean, everybody that's worked in retail, right, it's, you're afraid to take time off because you're not going to get paid and you're just you're just locked into this cycle of working and working and working, and it sucks. So that was one of the first things that we committed to doing, is that all of, all of our full-time employees get four weeks of paid vacation. And again, it's like, well, how can you, we can do this by running the kind of business that we run. And this is kind of what we communicate, right? It's up to us to communicate this to our employees. Like, like we go over our cafe financials with our employees, uh, with all of our employees, like every three months at a staff meeting and talk about how the numbers and the profitability are tied to things like this so that, so that everybody understands why we're doing the things we're doing. I think oftentimes there's a disconnect there. Um, and so we want to bridge that gap. We pay half of people's health insurance. Um, a lot of our staff, if you're younger than 26, you can be on your parents' plan. So we give them... Kind of like a hundred dollars a month wellness stipend if they want to go to yoga or, you know, uh, CrossFit, as Jared likes to say, uh, things like that. Uh, another thing that I really believe in, because I've been lucky enough to travel a lot and work in other parts of the world, are Origin trips. We've sent a third of our staff to Origin in the first year and a half. It's twenty-two thousand dollars. It's a lot of money, but that's what we've prioritized. Um, as like a really valuable experience for our employees and for ourselves. And it's really cool. We have each of them kind of give a presentation um, about their trip and talk through kind of the things they learned and how it's applicable to our values and our vision. Um, another super important thing, like you hear leadership, you, know, you hear like leadership development thrown around a lot in our industry. 
but we, you know, we send people to, we, like, the Disney, the Disney Institute is, like, a world-class leadership development uh, course, and I want to say 90% of the people on our leadership team have been to, to that class, and it's a lot of communication, it's how we work with people, um, as well, I'm in an organization called EO, Entrepreneurs Organizations, that I rec- recommend for any business owner out there. And we have a lot of awesome leadership talker, leadership speakers. Um, you know, you get a lot of different kinds of uh, supporting materials there as well that we've been able to implement at Cat and Cloud. But it's something we really believe in and just hands-on experience. We're building our own leadership course to kind of take these best practices and, and have our own course that we can run people through. Again, I talked about we promote exclusively from within. This is our culture. We're not going to hire in people above our employees. And then, right, we, you know, we don't pay employees tips, right? Those tips are something that they earn. But we've kind of created this service model and training where our average tips are 5 to $7 an hour. And so that, I mean, that's something that's awesome for them. I think it's like toward the higher end of the industry, and that's something that helps them as well. Um, 46 minutes going long. I know. Baca. I know. All right. So why ownership? (laughs) Why ownership? So giving employees ownership. You know, a lot of owners in other industries, you know, I've worked really hard. I put all my money in, blah, blah, blah. I can cuss you, right? It's It's all bullshit. Like, aligning, you want to align your employees with the company. You want them to think about the bigger picture versus just their department. Um, Yeah, it builds a stronger connection between you and the company. Um, Anything that I've been an owner of in the past, like, you feel connected to it. You feel a part of it. And it's something that you just don't have if you don't have that ownership piece. Also, I believe it's the ultimate way to reward hard work. Like, Chris, Jared, and I only do so much. Really, it's our employees who are doing the bulk of the work, pushing our company forward, creating value, having new ideas. And we really want to reward this hard work. Not just through like, pat on the back, good job, back to work. No, dude, it's like, it's got to be a partnership. And I really think that everybody wins here, right? Like, like I'm happy to give up part of my ownership in the company so that we can bring people along with us and all create careers together. I, like, we all want our employees to stay 5, 10, 20 years, which is something that doesn't really happen a lot in this industry. So I really think we can get into this everybody wins mindset. All right, so real life, like who does this besides like Google, Facebook, Oracle, tech, blah, blah, blah? Um, Whole Foods, Kind, WeWork is like a workspace, like a co-working space. Farfetch is like a retailer. REI is rad. You know, all these places have equity incentive pro- programs. You know, they're all larger companies, sure, but there's, you know, we're going to talk about this in a minute, what we can do as smaller companies. So right, if the first thing you can do um, you know, are benefits, you know, as you grow, and I think you, know, you see it in tech, like you start out, everybody's got equity and blah, blah, blah. But I think it really like three to five years is probably like a reasonable time frame to try to implement something. As long as you believe you have the value and growth and buy-in from everyone in your company about going this way. So kind of talk about this from like easiest to implement 
kind of the most complex profit sharing. Anybody could do this right away, right? This is just awarding percentages of the income of the company to people. You can do this over time. You can stagger it. You can give it all at once. It's really easy legally, tax-wise. It's just additional compensation. And still, I mean, I think there is like a bit of ownership that comes with this. Um, just the better the company does, the better everybody does. Uh, phantom equity plans. So this is what actually what a lot of small businesses do and a lot of people I've talked to when I was preparing for this lecture, their companies have phantom equity plans, which are essentially like equity option plans, just without the legal and tax complications. And I'll, I'll for sure do like a deeper dive on a podcast sometime and talk about these things. Um, but we're kind, of, we're kind of looking, and we've got an offsite in May where we're going to talk to our leadership team and say, hey, here's phantom equity plans and here's equity option plans and what, which direction do we want to go. Equity option plans are kind of the full, typical ownership plans that you think of. You're actually transferring ownership. There's a lot of legal and tax implications for you as a business. Um, usually these are like a little bit larger companies, but you can do it. And it's like... I hear excuses of like, oh, it's so expensive to set this up and operate. It costs ten to $15,000 to set up. And it's like, if this is really a priority for you, think about how much we all spend on roastery equipment. Ten to $15,000 to put this in place for employees is not that much. And then finally, equity grants are usually more put in place when companies are bringing in kind of like executive talent or things like that. Or, yeah, just really anybody of higher talent where... Um, you know, they're going to give them straight up, like, new CEO comes in, he gets, like, 6% of equity. Um, here, there's, again, there's, like, uh, tax complication, tax implications with giving someone equity. It's considered compensation, gets taxed on. Um, so equity grants is not really one that's applicable. I just wanted to talk about it in the frame of, of these other things. But really, probably something that we're going to be focused on, I mean, really just with the work I've done is, like, a phantom equity plan where you can build ownership for people over time, and it's easy for small businesses to do. Um, they have all the rights of ownership without, you know, anyone who owns a business knows you, like, if you own part of a business, you get a K-1 without, which is like a tax document that you got to take and file and have your lawyers prepare. So without having to give out, like, 100 K-1s to all your employees and things like that, if you had a true equity option plan, a phantom equity plan, and you can have, you know, change of control clause, all the same benefits of true ownership, um, just without the legal and tax complications. So this is the, really what we're looking at. And really, I just bring this up because I'd love just to ha have more conversation about this in our industry. Um, I don't think there's enough conversation around this going on. You know, and I'll say it again, like, it was, we're so entrepreneurial. Like, this should be a part of everybody's plan for their company. Even if you can't do it now, this has got to be part of your plan. And, from an, you know, and again, from a coffee professional point of view, you should be looking for companies who think like this. Because this is the piece that's really going to help you if you spend time at the company, you grow with the company this is the piece that's going to provide the sustainable career. All right, so takeaways. Again, I mentioned, like, Chris, Jared, and I, we can't do everything. Our employees are the ones that are going to push us forward. We want them to stay 5, 10, 20 years, really help us build this company, do it together, reward the long-term value creation and thinking by employees, get employees to think holistically about the whole organization and how 
We, can be, we could run things better. We could provide better service. We can do things simpler. Just really bring everybody together in a way where they're thinking more about the company than about themselves. And, you know, I just keep pushing the mantra of running a good business. Because if you don't, if, you, if you're spending money on things that don't make sense, if you're taking on projects that don't make sense, you have to run a good business to be able to have money to take care of people. And I'll just like say that over and over and over again. And again, part of that is just having that understanding and putting that intentionality into that part of that business because that's how we're going to take care of people um, is by running our business this way. So, and again, I'm, so from the coffee professional point of view, if you love coffee, you want to make a career in coffee, do, do some research. Like, don't just go work for the coffee company that's in your town. Like, oh, there's a third wave coffee in town. I'm going to go work for them. Do some research. Um, find out what the opportunities, the growth opportunities, any benefit opportunities that there are at different companies. I think this is super important. I actually think it's really hard in this industry. And that's kind of my final thought is this is kind of my call to action and something that I'm really passionate about is I'm going to be working kind of over the next year to put together kind of like an annual survey um, where roaster retailers will kind of voluntarily provide pay, benefits, you know, what they provide for pay, benefits, growth opportunities, equity um, opportunities. And I'd love to publish like an annual survey that helps coffee professionals find places that are in line with like the culture and the vision that they want for themselves. Because we don't have that right now. And I think this would go a long way to help. So yeah, you can visit here, sign up for a newsletter. And that's really kind of one of the things that I'm going to be working on for the next year is really pushing other business owners to be more transparent and to be intentional about how we can provide better careers for everybody in the industry. Any questions? Oh, yeah, sorry. Thank you for the, uh, the uh, great presentation. Um, my name is Jeff. I'm from New Jersey. Uh, own a, a coffee shop. We just made the first year, so we're very excited about that. Congrats. Yeah, 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 yeah. Congrats. Serving, great product, great vibe, and stuff like that. Um, but we're one of those that we're still under 1,000 a day. Um, we get okay with two out of three of your metrics. Your, your metrics, your, our cogs are good, our administrative costs are good, but our employee costs are still 50% because we have room to scale growth. And so when you're working with employees that are $10 an hour range, we don't have the financial place yet to start the employee options and, and the things coming. What are the suggestions? What do you start where, where this is a great thing to grow into? If we can get to a 2,000-a-day shop, we can start to implement some of these things. But where do we start now to build that sense of ownership and equity um, where we're still uh, – yeah. Tight on the person. Totally. No, you're like in the beginning and yeah, give yourself time to build, you know, as you're financially able to build past to that $2,000 and past. And things you can really do in the beginning is give your employees more responsibility. Like let them be parts of decisions. Let them take on more additional roles within the cafe. Um, yeah, the more you can do to have them be part of the decision-making, even at a really small level, it's really invigorating and motivating. So I think just transparency, more responsibility, uh, you know, the few people that you see that are really excel- like excelling, you know, kind of bring them in and, and let them be more of a part of the business. I think that's a good starting spot. Good. Thank you.
Oh, yeah. Um, hi, I'm Sean from Iconic Coffee in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, thank you, by the way, for also showing all the metrics and the PNL. Like, yeah, that was really totally. helpful and substantive. Um, I have a question about when you have um, a growing company and you are th- basically trying to take in the universe of everything that's happening within your business and people that are excited and want to f- um, find a place in future growth, but everything that they're trying to do or implement sort of doesn't make sense to do right now or it makes sense to do at this point in the future without deflating them or trying to... Like, it, it's difficult to give that context, I find, without them feeling shot down for yeah, the ideas. Yeah, just that, that you're, yeah. like, you have employees who have all these ideas, but maybe they're not... It's not quite the right time. time. Yeah, Order. yeah. we actually have a process um, that we talk about at orientation, and it's, like, five-step kind of, like, idea implementation process where they have to kind of, like... Think about these ideas, try to kill their ideas, um, really kind of sell it to their direct boss. And yeah, kind of everybody comes in knowing that's kind of like the process. And, and it's about intentionality and explaining to our employees the why around everything we do. So somebody may have a great idea about something, but we've thought, we've thought about that and we're doing it this way for this specific reason and kind of have that conversation to set it up. And then, yeah, dude, we've got amazing ideas from people, but we kind of empower them to really take this idea from A to Z and come present it to us and how it's better than what we've thought about. And I think if you give them kind of like a process to go through and everybody understands that, that it puts the expectation in the right place as people have ideas and want to bring them to you guys. Mm -hmm. And they can see the merit of it or, or not. Okay, thank you. I had two quick questions. One was, when you guys do your profit sharing, how often do you pay out the employees? Is it every six months, every year, every month? Okay. And then my other question was for you, Chris and Jared, how do you guys, do you pay yourself a salary? Totally. And then what's that So we're organized as an LLC that's taxed as an S-corp. We pay ourselves a salary just because one of our goals is buying a house and we want to show that W-2 income, you're going to, we're happy to pay, we pay a little bit higher in payroll taxes versus, right, as your owner, if you're LLC, you can just take draws. But we're paying into Social Security, we're paying into those taxes, kind of like, I, I want to have Social Security when I'm old and things like that. So, and, and really, it's W-2 is going to help you buy a house easier than trying to dig up all the documentation mm-hmm. of, like, the draws that you're taking and things. So that's, that's what we do. Um, yeah, once we... If someday we all own houses, we might change that up, but that's what we do for now. And then how did you all decide what you were going to pay yourselves? Yeah, I think, yeah, that's, dude, that's super. It's like as little as possible where we can still live, like, I don't know, like, what's that? Yeah, in Santa Cruz. <laughs> Yeah, because, right, I mean, we do have to divide up the money between, you know, if we, uh, you know between everybody, especially the leaders. You know, we, it's really important for us to set up leaders in the different departments and empower them, and that's going to take paying them some money. So part of that, you know, and having three owners is that it requires a little bit of scale, right? So we're kind of putting in the time, and that's kind of why we've pushed, you know, we'll have been open maybe a little over two years and potentially have four stores and that's going to help us pay ourselves like a more sustainable salary and then be able to, to take that down the line to everybody that we work with. Yeah, when we started, we paid ourselves, what, 50 grand? 
Hi. Um, I just had a question pertaining to your roastery. Yep. How is that structured versus your cafes? Um, I work for a company that's growing, and what was manageable for one person to manage and roast and do pretty much all of shipping, it's become a lot more. So I'm wondering how much production goes into justifying another person, or how do you split, divvy up the work for that? Yeah, that's sector? interesting. Um, yeah, it's almost, I mean, separate department, similar in terms of like creating a schedule. We run a little lean probably in our roastery, but with like almost all full-time people. And everybody who packages knows how to roast. And everybody in the roastery, we don't want people to take a pay cut going from the cafe to the roastery, including tips. So we try to kind of equalize pay that way as well. But yeah, I mean, you get to a point where as you're roasting and selling more coffee, you kind of need to bring somebody in. And we kind of fill in with retail people who want to help and like learn a bit about the roastery until we feel like we can justify a, full, a new like full-time person. So there's definitely a little like retail, wholesale, or roastery crossover. Do you mind me asking like volume, how many people it yeah. takes to... Yeah. Um, I mean, what do we do? We do... Yeah, I mean, we roast every day, and we well, we send out wholesale orders Monday, Thursday. We send out web orders Tuesday, Friday, and we roast every day, like pretty much uh, like a full shift. So we are at a point where we have probably three people on almost all the days working. So one person roasting all the time, two people packing and shipping. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, hey Charles, just want to say thanks. Um, also, uh, my bosses are great and uh, they treat us really well, but they're also here, so don't worry, Todd. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> um, as a full-time employee, um, how can we come alongside and be supportive to our bosses without overstepping? Because I think a lot of times it's like. Um, when you oversee like your own department and you're like, well, I think we should do this or that, but you, it's easy to like be hesitant. Cause like, Oh, I don't want to overstep because yeah. my boss has the final say. Yeah. There's a cool stuff. term for that called like leading up the chain. And me and Baca just finished this book called extreme ownership. That was actually really interesting in like some of the kind of like the leadership topics they discussed. But one is like, yeah, leading up the chain. Like how do you empower, um, right. People, kind of, uh, you know, department managers talking to owners and things like that. And I think one is just really like building that trust. And if they can see that they really trust in what you're doing and that you've made an effort to bring them in and they understand everything you're doing, I think maybe oftentimes there's um, a situation where maybe the owner doesn't really understand how your department works or everything that you do on the daily. And just bringing them in and having them spend, you know, asking them to spend time with you, talking to them a lot about what you're doing and what your challenges are. And, hey, I think we could make it better with this. What do you think? And, and understanding where the owner is coming from as well, like putting yourself kind of in their shoes, that's really going to help you. Because it's kind of like maybe what you value, what you're thinking about, and you guys may not be on the same page. So really trying to think about it from their point of view as well and then kind of try to bridge the gap from there. Hi. Um, my name is Melissa, and I own Brewpoint Coffee in the Chicagoland area. Oh, um, we, uh, 
I, my husband and I aren't like super rich or anything, but when he, we uh, bought our <laughs> coffee shop on Craigslist, and I asked, he was my boyfriend at the time, and I asked him to pay for it for us, and he did. Um, and so, <laughs> and we just opened our uh, third location yeah, um, in last, late last year, and for the first time, like, spent money on a build out and like fancy machines and all those different things. And even though we were able to get like an SBA loan, it yeah. freaked us out to yeah. get like a really big loan. And so I'm curious to know what your philosophy is on debt. Obviously, yeah. the better debt, the like the better, you know, rates and things of yeah. that sort, the better. But is there a certain ratio or way you think about it that's helpful? Yeah, totally. You definitely don't want to get too over leveraged or, too, yeah. I mean, kind of how I think about it is it's kind of in regard to, you know, options, right? I mean, for first or second cafe, um, bringing on debt versus bringing on a partner and like, kind of the complications there. But yeah, it is really scary. And the thing that gives me comfort is just knowing that not only I, but like everybody in my, on my team understands this and that like this is what we, you know, we believe in growing through taking on these loans and everybody understands this and buys into this and this is what we have to do to, you know, be able to continue to operate and pay down these loans. It's kind of, um, like the give and take with choosing that path. And yeah, I mean, I, I think it's scary, but then the more you do it, the less scary it becomes as you see, like, as you get busier and see your model working. But I think our leverage, um, yeah, you can look at it different ways. There's like debt to equity or like, uh, like debt service coverage ratios based on like income. I think you want to you want to monitor it both ways. You want to make sure you're producing the income to cover any, you know, to, to far exceed any of like your debt payments and what you have to do. Um, but then, yeah, also that, you know, that you're not like 10 to one debt to equity or just that you've so over leveraged your business that you're really like, going all in and sacrificing if if i mean downturns recessions will come sure. like a lot of people in coffee the last recession was 2008 right it's like how how are we all going to like weather the next recession together and i think yeah it's you just kind of have to i think just having everybody on the same page and understanding the business and knowing what you have to do so i, th- I think part of what i'm thinking about is just like prioritizing paying off debt in comparison to investing in staff. And so, and so a lot of times it's just like, okay, like we can all get on the same page that we're all going to get paid a little bit less for the next couple of years because we just built three cafes in the past three years. Totally. Um, But at what point is it kind of like, okay, it's year five. Like we really should be starting to get to a place where we can all own houses. (laughs) Um, And I think we're building that. But at the same time, there's this part of me that's just like, I want to pay off all my debt right away. Um, Because ultimately like, then it means in 10 years, then we can all get houses instead of five years or something of that sort. Yeah. Man, I think the big thing, again, is just communicating that and everybody being on the same page and everybody buying into that idea that, hey, this is what we're going to do and this is what we're going to prioritize. And yeah, if you can do like a little of both, right? Maybe that is kind of like a good middle path, but um, you've got some thoughts as well. I'm quickly jumping in to say that the member of the audience is asking what kind of payback time period to aim for after a build-out. Yeah, totally. And that's, I mean, that's another thing, like sizing cafes and build-outs and, mm-hmm. um, you know, looking at like a three- to four-year payback period. 
um, for your cafes. <laughs> and um, if you can do that, I mean, Dunkin' Donuts has an 18-month payback period for their cafes. Like, we don't want to be Dunkin' Donuts, but they, yeah, they pay back their cafes in 18 months. So, um, yeah, like two, two to four years payback period for the cafe right. is going to help you pay that down sooner, I think, by just being able to judge your build-out costs versus your income that you're going to bring in every year. If you're building out a million-dollar store and you're only making hundred grand a year, that's, that's, a, that's a problem, right? It's like you want to size your build-outs appropriately with how much income you think you're going to, you're going to want to make. You know, if a $300,000 or $400,000 build-out and you can make hundred to hundred fifty a year, cool, you're, you've paid back that store in three to four years and kind of thinking about it that way. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Talk Sorry. I love Blue Point. Howdy. Hello. I'm from Costa Rica, so I'm very short. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. I, I am a coffee producer, and I'm here because I want to learn your challenges. And I want to see how maybe we're always advocating for the producer, for the farmers, for the pickers. But I also see here... Um, and, and I want to know more about, you know, the, the fact that you have baristas. I see baristas in the front line like I see pickers at the farm. And when we're small farmers, and, and actually I'm the founder of Farmers Project, so we're uh, a team of five farmers and we do direct trade. When we're small farmers, we see a lot of those things you guys see in the, you know, the competitiveness of the bigger farms and the bigger mills. And we see the vans full of Koreans touring the big mills and we're wishing and hoping that we could get some roasters to come or baristas to come and see our operations. So I wanted to ask you, how do you choose where to go and what is your model to compensate or make origin trips part of your compensation? Because small producers like us, would like to partner with people that are just starting like us yeah. so you guys can come down and, and, and we can partner up from the bottom up, not just when you're really at the top. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> right? I, I think it's hard as a, as a small producer. Like, like, I started my career in coffee working uh, with an NGO called TechnoServe, um, working with Ethiopian farmers and helping form them into cooperatives and connecting them with buyers. And it's really finding those resources that can connect you with buyers that is really hard and really important. Because a lot of people, I think I speak for us and a lot of people in the U.S., we have trouble finding like the smaller people like yourselves. And um, a lot of roasters, the more you could learn maybe about like importing, I mean really just meeting as many importing partners as possible, and then focusing on quality, because if you guys are producing amazing coffee, I, I believe somebody will find you. So it's like, I know, and it may not be all of your farm, but some part of your farm producing amazing quality, somebody will find you. And beyond that, it's, it's really understanding your supply chain out and up into different markets, and how can you really get to get an ear with those people um, you know, the cafe imports, the, uh, the red foxes, the, all the people that do great importing work, um, you know, really sp spending some time there as well. Um, right, like TechnoServe as an NGO, we helped connect producers to buyers. So even within Costa Rica, are there organizations 
uh, doing some research about other organizations that are kind of connecting smaller producers to buyers and, and getting you some visibility on like the international stage as people hear about certain like uh, farmer projects that are happening in Costa Rica. If you can be a part of that, then you're going to kind of get access in through that. And that's what happened for the Ethiopian farmers that I was working with. Hello, my name is Myra. I'm from Mexico, so I'm also short. <laughs> um, I'm here from a back of the arts coffee in the south side of Chicago. And I feel like we share a lot of the same values. Um, we're going to be a year open. Our coffee house is going to be open for a year uh, this May. And so um, within these last 11 months, we've been able to create jobs for 10 people, which is super important for us. In our neighborhood, um, there's over... 4,500 youth between the ages of 16 and 24 that are out of school and unemployed. So creating jobs is, is a, um, something that's very important for us. Um, but one of the questions that I have is, we're actually working on expanding our roasting facility and getting a, a separate building. Um, something I'm not sure what to do is, uh, is if we should create a, a separate legal entity Mm. Um, or keep it on their same name because I'm thinking about like our our uh, financial credit if that follow uh, that will follow us if we create a separate entity yeah and then just kind of like for totally the, I know. would prefer to keep it within the same entity and then you can use that buying power from the roastery as you guys look to further expand and keeping it all under one entity is just a simpler I think it's just simpler all the way around it's less complicated less legal stuff less tax stuff. And yeah, I mean, I, I would just challenge somebody to find a better reason for why it should be separate. I don't think it needs to be separate. Yeah. I, I've just been told for like, um, liability reasons. Yeah, totally. All right. You know, and that's so dude, trying to like weigh respect. Out that is like accounts. one thing that people will cite. Yeah. Liability. But I just think like, I would, I don't know. Yeah. Liability, but like being sued and not affecting the whole company, but right. I don't think there's much that we do in this industry besides coffee, obviously causing cancer in California, but uh, I don't think there's anything that we all do that like puts us in that position necessarily. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Hey man, thanks so much for all this. Um, Justin Carabello, Carabello Coffee, Cincinnati, Ohio, roaster, wholesaler, retailer, Uh, net profitability of 15%. Ownership, salaries, is that coming before you hit the 15% or after the 15%? Yeah, totally. So the 15% is just kind of looking at the cafe business model. And then we kind of have like a, you know, we have like the roastery wholesale department and kind of like an admin department. And we kind of, I kind of like to look at kind of the wholesale business and profitability and that that's helping cover some of the admin. So actually part of JT's salary Actually, yeah, all of JT's salary is spread across our retail. So they get allocated, like, since he's the head of retail, they get allocated part of his salary, Um, which, again, will decline as you open more stores. But, yeah, actually, so, yeah, me and Bacher and other parts, but his is allocated across retail because he's in charge. Do you have a percentage you're shooting for in terms of percentage of gross sales, ownership, salaries? Hmm, row sales and ownership salaries? I would say no, but I think even as a whole company, like 25 to 30% payroll applies there as well. Including ownership. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah, totally. Awesome. 
Dude, well, thank everybody. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Um, man, if you guys have more questions or want to dig any deeper, definitely email us. We'd love talking about this stuff. I love talking about this stuff. So thanks, everyone. That was Charles Jack at Expo in 2018. Remember to check our show notes for a full transcript of this lecture and visit coffeeexpo.org for tickets to this year's event. This has been an episode of the SCA Podcast. Thank you for joining us.